I love doing a good job at each stage. And I think that's really the way I want to live life as well. That if I live each day well, it adds up into a life well led. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Parallax. Um, so I have a really special guest and um, someone I've been wanting to host for a while. You know, probably she doesn't know about this, but she's been on my on my list of guests that I want to host for Parallax and you know, I ended up writing to her and, you know, much to my surprise, she responded, you know, within 15 minutes to not even half an hour. And, uh, you know, the, the energies were so synergistic that, you know, here we are recording this episode. So my guest on today's show is someone who I think needs no introduction. She's Dr. Carolyn Lam. She's, in a, she's a heart failure cardiologist. Uh, she's a professor of medicine at Duke National University of Singapore. And we've all heard her. She co-hosts the world-famous podcast for Circulation, Circulation on the Run. And um, I believe now has an exciting role with us to AI, which she's going to talk about more uh, on this episode. So with that introduction, Carolyn, welcome on the show. And thank you so, so much for doing this for us. Oh, thank you so much, Anchor. I mean, you're saying you were thrilled when I responded. You should have seen my response when I got your email. Um, I think what you're doing here with Parallax Podcast is amazing. I did mention that you've got some of the people I most admire already uh, interviewed, and Deepak Bhatt, Nancy Elbert, Ami Bhatt. I mean, I'm very, very grateful to have a chance to share my story as well. Yeah, no, and you know, we're we're equally excited to have you on the show, and you know, you know, you are, um, you know, obviously your your um, work with circulation on the run and you know some of the research that you've done with heart failure and and just your your persona and your presence um, in the cardiology space is is very welcoming and refreshing and, and very inspirational to a lot of cardiologists you know let alone women but all, you know just cardiologists in general including myself so you know I'm sort of having a fan moment as I interview you um, so I'm going to start uh, by asking you about you know origins for you for medicine and then cardiovascular disease and and then heart failure obviously but when tell us about your childhood and you know early adulthood or teenage years as you were thinking about a career <laughs> well it's actually quite simple um i was born and bred in singapore and in case anybody's wondering Singapore is a tiny island city nation at the uh, sort of the southern end of the Malaysian Peninsula, deep in Southeast Asia. And Ankur, I think you, of anyone, would identify with that from really having roots in Asia. Um, I know that you began your life in India, and I'm so grateful to know you've been to Singapore. But it's it's a really, really uh, tiny island. And I was the daughter, I am the daughter of a very successful pediatrician. Uh, that's my mom. And a scientist and emeritus professor in zoology. Can you beat that? In my dad. And I suppose I've somehow married their careers 
in my life by becoming a clinician scientist. <laughs> um, however, you know, being a doctor was something I, I think has always been part of the fiber of who I am. Um, to this day, I still consider it one of our greatest privileges that we can touch people's lives at this very, very core need, you know. It's interesting. I was just sharing with a with a stranger today of how in in the clinic, um, how when someone walks in with a physical need or an illness, it doesn't matter if they're royalty. It doesn't matter if they're the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich. The basic human need is there, and it is such a privilege to be able to help someone at that point. So, I I remain very very much grateful. To be able to practice medicine, and the science part, I think, came as as sort of we got to be creative somewhere, and and here we go. <laughs> Now, going into heart failure, though, it's it's a whole story in itself because when I started out, frankly, um, I was so enamored with the condition of what we then called diastolic heart failure, but I literally got warned by mentors and people around me sort of saying, why are you studying a disease that doesn't exist? Why are you trying to be the fever doc of cardiology? You know, like totally unglamorous. Why don't you go train to be an interventionist? Why don't you, you know, do any other thing like imaging? And I, I remember really, really feeling self-doubt at that moment and Wondering if passion is enough to carry you through, and I have to say that now, having having the the great privilege of looking back and and in my lifetime seeing that we've got the first resoundingly positive outcomes trial in HEFPEF, which we now call it. I mean, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful uh, uh, that that I went on this path and stuck to it. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, for, you know, I think first of all, congratulations for taking the the path of of the clinician scientist. It's it's personally been very fulfilling to me, um, and you know, I think for you, perhaps it came a bit more naturally. It came to me by accident, but it was a it was a great accident because you know it's given me a lot of purpose, and it's given. I mean, not that uh, you know, by no means. Um, Am I saying that people who only pursue a clinical path do not have meaning and purpose in their lives? That's not the message that I'm trying to give. But I think to some of us, you know, who have that creative um, energy in them, uh, I think it's it's a good forum to dissipate that energy through science and through you know creation in science and innovation in science. Um, and you know. Where I'm getting with this is that perhaps it came to you naturally because you had a scientist in your father and a clinician in your mother, and you know you sort of imbibed the good of the the good aspects from both of them, and, and you know both both of both of their jobs. I mean, there, there's obviously a mundane component to every job, uh, but then there is the exciting component to every job as well. And I I do think that the path of a clinician scientist is is a very exciting one. Obviously, with challenges, but it's exciting. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And you know, anchor to you as well. 
congratulations on being a pioneer in, in many of the things, this podcast being case in point, you know, um, but, but yeah, I still look for that characteristic uh, when I have sort of people who want to train with me or join as a clinician scientist, um, I still look for that, that you know, insatiable desire to be creative, to write, that the sort of thing that makes you do the research, even when you have to do it after a full day of clinics, which is how I started, right? You don't get... You don't get any sort of discount on your clinical work. You just have to be so driven that you want to do your research in, at nights or you know, in the weekends. I mean, I still remember when I was in Singapore and I was trying to get involved and I attached myself to a, a scientist, a, a mentor, and I literally sometimes still have nightmares of the nights I would go into the lab and have to pick up these mice and rats and inject them, right, with intraperitoneal, whatever it is I was testing. Oh, boy. Yeah, but but it's that sort of thing, I think, that it kind of keeps you going. And and um, and I, I think that even doing podcasts, both you and I, it's, it's part of that extension of being inquisitive, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's it's really fun at the end. Yeah, no, I... I, again, uh, you know, well said, and, you know, I mean, we're not trying to advocate for, you know, work-life imbalance. I mean, you obviously, you know, you, you have to be, um, you, you just have to be, it has to, uh, like you said, it, you know, the, I think the word is spark, and I think it's also insatiable, so that when you uh, partake in an activity after a full days of clinic, like for me, you know, sitting down at night by myself, you know, whether I'm writing poetry or whether I'm writing a thoughtful piece for, you know, maybe a, a JAMA piece of my mind or, um, you know, reflections, uh, you know, it, it, it gives me, it gives me immense joy to do that. You know, for example, um, sitting down, winding down at the end of a Monday to do this podcast with you is, is my joy. And, you know, my why is that these conversations that are being listened to at different parts of the world are going to ignite the next Carolyn Lam, right? And so that's my that's my that's going to be my contribution to science. That you know, okay, if I'm not Carolyn Lam myself, I'm going to help someone become the next Carolyn Lam through the conversations that I'm having with the Carolyn Lam that we all know. So oh, you know, I, you're too kind. I have to add the next Ankar Kalra too. <laughs> hey. Yeah. You know, and you know, th wow. thank you for thank you for that. But you know, the 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 point is, and you know, to your point is that um, you do some, you know, it's it's innate. So, like you know, create creativity if it gives you joy. Exactly, Ankar. Could I could I bring up something though? I've been questioning recently this concept of balance. And I've been striving for balance so much in my life that I'm now starting to wonder, is it really balance that I want or is it passion and ups and downs? <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know if you know what I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to say here, you know, because sometimes when, when I keep talking about having balance, it just feels like everything is not done to the fullest. And 
now I think I've begun to have a little bit more compassion on myself and to just go, you know, sometimes to do the stuff I want to do, I'm just going to be fully passionate. And I'm going to just say I'm fully passionate and be off balance now and then, but always to be joyful and to be guided and have integrity uh, with, with who I am. And, and um, that's what I, I hope to be. It's like the other concept of multitasking. You know how when I'm younger, I used to think, wow, that's my gift. And then after a while, started realizing, wow, that's my weakness. And it's actually way better that I get focused and do one thing at a time than to spread myself thin. You know, it's just these things. I know I sound old, but no, I just thought I'd put you're, it out you're, there. No, you're so on point. Um, and, you know, this is, um, you know, just to be, be receptive of what when others bring up work-life balance, because I, I know that's been talked about a lot, but and, you know, when people ask me, and this is to your point of multitasking, uh, and, you know, when people ask me, oh, you, you know, so you wrote a poetry book and you do the podcast and you have all these papers and you're active on social media and you are an interventionist and, um, you know, how are you doing all these things? You must be really good at multitasking. And, you know, my response to that has been actually no. Uh, I I am really good at unitasking. Uh, and. And that is that when I am doing a particular task, I want a hundred percent of my energy in that task because that's when I'm, um, that's when, you know, immersion happens and, and that's when I'm able to produce my, my, bo- my best, uh, you know, product. Uh, and I'm fully present in that moment. And, and that's, and that's when life happens, right? Life happens not when you are ruminating over the past or you are worried about the future. It's when you are here and now and you're present and you have given every molecule of yourself to that moment. I absolutely love that. I I really love that. And if I could also say that extends to everything we do. I realized that in my clinic, if I would just in the first minute, literally just one minute of a patient encounter, not be looking at case notes or the computer or fluffing about anything else, but just look the patient straight in the eye and say, how can I help you? And just be so fully engaged in that one minute. It actually makes me far more efficient because at the end, you know, the patient says exactly what they need. And then I deal with it, right? I do go on the computer and everything, but then I don't have them, continually sort of trying to say, oh, and, and about this and about that while I'm trying to do something or, or, or something else, you know, it's, I, I've just found again and again, that one minute saves me 10 minutes <laughs> of the entire uh, clinical encounter. Same with kids. My, my son could be tugging at me for the entire hour. And if I would just turn and give him five minutes, right, just face to face and go, yes, Kwan, what can mommy do for you? You know, and then you just see he's so happy and he's just, and, and honestly, he suddenly goes, 
okay, I'm okay now. And he trots away. You know what I mean? Rather than me sort of continually trying to multitask with whatever it is I'm doing on the computer and him trying to get my attention. Yeah, it's just, I I think it applies to everything. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I think it's just about, it's um, not about the quantity, right? It's about the quality. So if, if that one minute is a quality one minute where you are completely immersed in that patient story or that five minutes are the quality five minutes where you have nothing else in your mind, but just your, your son and his questions and, you know, what he wants, then, you know, even for him, you know, whether it's your son or your, or, or, or your patient, I think, you know, their uh, perception of you being fully present will, um, will be an experience for them as well. Right. It will be like, you know, mom was, mom was, mom was with me, even though you were with him for five minutes, you'd be like, Oh, you know, she was with me for longer. You know, that's (laughs) perception. Um, Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And, you know, I've sort of come to realize that also, uh, you know, as I've, you know, gone through the years and uh, that, you know, that this, this is the, this is the mantra is to be fully present and to be here and now and to be fully immersive and to be passionate, like you said. uh, but you know, also just allow yourself the complete immersion to be in that moment, um, and you'll 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 live a fuller life. Um, I mean, you'll obviously do um, you know more fulfilling work, so you'll be more fulfilled. Uh, you may be imbalanced, but you'll be fulfilled rather than being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, no, no, this is no great. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, we're talking, uh, we're talking spirituality, which, which obviously is my favorite topic, uh, you know, obviously, but, uh, moving, so moving forward, um, so you, you decide to become a heart failure cardiologist and tell us when, when did circulation on the run happen? How did circulation on the run happen for you? Cause you know, I think for, for me, um, like I, that was my first introduction to you. Uh, and you know, it, it it could be true for for many of us, um, right? Like to to know about the Carolyn Lamb we know about today, like circulation on the run, was what introduced, um, you know, me to you. But I, I, you know that that could be true for a lot of lot of the cardiologists who now know you. But tell us about tell us about how that happened. Wow. You know, since you brought up spirituality, I hope that I can have the liberty to share that part of me, which is, I think, frankly, the most important part of me. And when I look back and sort of ask, how did I get here? I know that there is a higher being. I I know that that it's just impossible for me to plan the way to get to something like hosting the podcast of Circulation. Um, without, you know, frankly, a good God guiding the way. So I'll tell you, it's it's just so strange. I, I just really put my heart and soul into diastolic heart failure, which became HEFPEF, became a trialist somehow when I met um, Scott Solomon, frankly, at the Brigham and fell in love with the way trials run. Went back to Singapore after my U.S. training and started off some Asian cohorts. And from there, just by one step at a time, recognizing opportunities, giving my heart and soul each time, 
became known in the academic circles. The other thing for younger listeners, I was so fortunate to be asked to review papers for journals such as Jack because some wonderful people like Barry Greenberg met me in a heart failure training camp and believed in me. So he gave me the opportunity to review. Every single thing I did, I gave my best. And because of that, you start being recognized as a reviewer. Suddenly you're an editorialist. Um, And then my academic profile was building up. And that is, by the way, the foundation of first becoming an associate editor of a journal like Circulation. And so somehow stars aligned that um, I I had that academic credibility uh, to become an associate editor. And I'm grateful that in one of my journeys, I had crossed paths with Darren McGuire in an advisory board. And Darren McGuire is a senior editor of Circulation. And when it came that they were building their team, he kind of said, well, you know, we want to be international. Have you heard of this this lady <laughs> in Singapore, you know? Who knew, right? And And it's just that. It just... One person knew another person, and um, that's how I got invited to join um, a Circulation as an associate editor. However, how I did the podcast is another just incredulous story. So in Singapore, somehow I, I ended up on a radio show one day uh, talking, I think, about heartbeat. I can't remember. But then I really got along with the DJ who was hosting it, and who knew he was about to start a TV show? And he kind of said, hey, come on in and interview for the TV show. I'd like you to be my um, physician host, right? And, and it's, it's sort of a weekly TV show. It's, <laughs> it, it's sort of for public education, just to talk about things like chest pain and coughs and, you know, uh, um, just to break it down and give our Singaporean audience a really reliable source of medical information. Who knew I, uh, I I got the role? And so all this while, while I was building a career in medicine, I was also getting a lot of experience in speaking um, because I, I ended up being the, the physician on this show for 10 seasons, <laughs> 10 seasons of 10 episodes. So you can imagine after a while, you sort of pick up all the little things that make you remember and how to articulate and your points and things like that. So so by the time Circulation was thinking of doing a podcast, I think some, I don't know, some bird must have told Joe Hill that, well, Carolyn has a little bit of experience. And he just gave me a call and said, hey, we want to do a podcast. Uh, do you think you can do it? And I just, with all my heart, said yes, not even knowing what I was doing or how I was going to do it. But I knew that, oh, this would be so cool. And um, the very first episode of, of Circulation on the Run, if, if you listen, um, it I, I told the story of how I thought circulation on the run would be a a good idea because literally I would be on the run on a treadmill um, in the mornings wishing that I could read a journal at the same time, but there's just no way. And so wishing that someone would summarize it audibly for me 
And so I decided I'm going to do that in the podcast for others. And that's how it humbly started. And by the way, here's a sneak peek behind the scenes too. That first episode, we had to record twice. And it's not my fault. It's because someone didn't turn on their recorder. <laughs> we do it the old-fashioned way. We each have a recorder. And uh, so so that was funny. That's an inside joke. But if that person is listening, he'll know. <laughs> it's one of the people who've been a guest on your podcast, by the way. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow. That, that, is, that, is a, that is a neat little fact. But, you know, I, th- I think uh, coming back to, you know, how you initially started answering this question and, and uh, you know, thank you for Thank you for answering it that way and saying that because, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a huge believer in in spirituality and you know circumstances lining up and things happening for a reason and life happening for us and not to us and you know looking back be able to connect the dots and certainly that there is a higher force that is directing us to where we are meant to be our fullest self in in immersing ourselves in the service of others. Cause you know, I think that is like, I think all of us are here to serve uh, in one way or the other. And um, you know, here's how, here's how I think, you know, just putting on my spiritual hat is that you are um, the purpose of your, um, of your life is to find your gift and, um, the meaning of your life is to give give that gift away. Um, I think that that's what gives your life meaning, and you know your purpose is your find find the gift. But once you found once you found it, you know what will give your life meaning is to give it away. Because um, uh, you know we're only here each you know for a certain certain time point, you know, and then we'll be gone, and then someone else will be here. Um, but that, that that is that is just such a fascinating story, you know, about you know how the dots lined up for you and how the universe was preparing you for um, a, a portion of your career in speaking, um, you know, and introducing you to the world audience through circulation on the run, you know, which which continues to do superbly well. Well, it's very kind, and could I please respond? That is a quotable quote, Anchor. Have you published what you've just said? Ah, it's so worth, yeah, purpose of your life is to find your gift. And then the meaning is to give that away. That is, that is so beautiful. And that's where happiness really lies, don't you think? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, think happiness is nothing but service. And, you know, you will be, you know, you'll have that joy and that joy will happen. You'll, you'll, it's, something that you'll experience, you know, it's, it's hard to put it into words, but you experience joy um, when you're happy and you, you are happy when you're giving because, you know, you, as long as you're taking, you'll be, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're, you're elated, but that's going to be very short term. not going to be long lasting, but I think long lasting joy or happiness is only when you're giving it away constantly. Wow. Even the timing of talking to you like this is, is, is serendipitous because I have to admit that through life, there are moments where when you see um, people who don't believe the same way sort of seem to succeed in life, 
sometimes it gets quite discouraging, <laughs> you know, and I think one just has to hold on to um, uh, one's belief. Um, it's not easy in the midst of not understanding how the dots aligned. That's what faith is. Uh, Absolutely. Faith is just, yeah, just still believing um, because it's true. And, and, and it just, it, it just always, always works out. And life just shows you that again and again. And just whoever's listening here who needs to hear it, don't never give up. Keep looking up. Don't give up. Look up. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think faith and, you know, I, you know, for, for people who believe in the mechanism of faith, um, and, you know, it's, it's funny that they're, you know, here we're two physician scientists talking about faith, but, uh, you know, I do, I do sincerely in all honesty believe that spirituality begins where science ends. And, um, you know, I, I think that, and, you know, I've experienced it, you know, in, 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 in my life and I've had moments where I've just had to let go and, and just have faith take over. Um, and, you know, things have fallen back into place. That has happened to me time and time again. Um, and it's, again, it's something that unless you, you, you experience it, it's hard for you to quote unquote prove it. Uh, you know, for the, for the scientists who only believe in, you know, proving in experiments and, you know, my, my, my goal, my goal actually as, as an investigator putting on the investigator hat is, um, to somehow scientifically deduce that spirituality has the power to transform and that it actually exists, that faith. Um, and I'm, I'm slowly building that, that aspect of my portfolio up. Like I've written a few, I've written a few pieces for the European Heart Journal. I mean, I, you know, on spirituality, medicine, and I've written on, you know, taking from the book, taking lessons from the Bhagavad Gita wrote about, COVID-19 and healthcare workers, you know, take, taking, you know, lessons from the Bhagavad Gita. And, uh, you know, as we speak, I'm working on a, a piece which we're most likely going to send to Jack, but we'll see how that's, how that's perceived, um, you know, because the, the spirituality piece, which was initially sent to Jack, was eventually accepted by the European Heart Journal. So, uh, but, in, 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 you know, the, the point is that, um I, I couldn't agree with you more that faith again is is something that you have to experience and, and believe in. And you know, for those who believe in faith, the faith will will test your belief. You know, just like a true scientist will test how good the experiment is, faith, being the ultimate scientist, will test how how much you believe in in the faith system. And if you do, then it'll show you that it is indeed the right system to believe in. Oh. You know, that's all. That's how I I believe. Oh, I just I I love the way you articulated all of that. If I could add to that tension of science, medicine, and faith, in my personal life, I've experienced for sure faith is real. In clinical care, I've also seen for myself things that science and medicine cannot explain. You just, you see for yourself, miracles. But if I could also tell you about another struggle I have is now that I'm a entrepreneur, albeit an accidental entrepreneur as a co-founder of a, of a company, how to also bring in spirituality there? Because I, I really don't think it's something that you keep in silos. 
um, and, and to put it all into integrity and to make sure that while I'm running a business, it's still the medical doctor in me who has the patient at the center. While it's dollars and hard facts, it's there's still an element of faith that things line up beyond your comprehension. The humility to admit that no matter what I do, I still need that, you know, and all and all of that. I mean, I just it's 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 interesting. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, that I, I mean, I, you know, I, I truly believe um, that, you know, true magic happens when, uh, you know, your why is centered on the most acute need that the planet has. And, you know, this is just talking from, from a faith-based perspective, is that if you are trying to address the why, which the planet most acutely needs, you know, be it climate change or be it global warming or be it air pollution and cardiovascular disease or be it, you know, in the U.S., for example, gun control or, you know, be it uh, the next frontier in, in cardiovascular care, um, you know, whether that's ischemia reperfusion injury or finding uh, a a therapeutic armamentarium for HFPEF. I think if your why is truly centered in the next big problem that the planet is facing um, and you are in all your heart uh, focused on finding that solution um, and not worried about, you know, the, the failure or the glamour, you know, and, and those, are, those are just relative terms, then, you know, universe is going to line up all the forces to help you. Um, and, you know, that's, I've seen that happen to other people and I've, 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 I've sort of seen that systematically happen to people who have their why figured out in that it's, it's, their why is bigger than, the, bigger than, than themselves individually. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. And, you know, I, I think in yeah. doing that, in doing that, I think, you, you know, obviously you'll shine as an individual also, but that is going to be a byproduct. And you know, your, your mission, your why is going to be larger than your own life. Um, yes. Which, which I think is a great segue to, to, to talk about your entrepreneurial hat um, uh, with us to AI, you know, tell us about that. Oh, the, moving from such big, important things of the universe to talk of this very specific issue um, <laughs> uh, feels a little bit, um, you know, maybe not not as impactful, but I will tell you the story, and and um, I think it's part of me having the privilege to be part of the the guideline writing committee of the ESC 2021 heart failure guidelines, and sort of telling everyone that when we diagnose heart failure, uh, we need to have echocardiography and biomarkers, namely natriuretic peptides, and recognize this and that in the echo, and then realizing GPs can't get their hands on echoes. There are waiting lists longer than a year in some places in the world for echo. Does that mean that none of these patients can get diagnosed? And uh, I just realized then that what I've been training years to do, which is echocardiography, I trained in echo at Mayo Clinic. Um, actually, a lot of what I do is very mundane. It's very manual. It's trainable. 
And if so, it should be automated. And that's just the whole thing of what the software does. It, it literally just applies image recognition and AI to automate what we do, which is recognize which chamber of the heart we're looking at, um, do segmentation, make automatic measurements, and then just decide if that's normal or not. But I, I, I do think that that's the first step that we, we have to take in order to democratize the tool. So the analogy is like with the ECG, the electrocardiogram or the EKG. There was a day when we had to go to cardiologists to get an EKG. I don't think you're old enough, but I trained in those days where we had, you know, metal calipers in our uh, clinic jackets. We'd have to take them out to measure all the intervals on the EKG and decide whether what was normal or not. We memorized all the criteria for LVH and all these other things. And then now it's it's automated. Uh, AI reads it, it, spits out stuff in English, it's normal or it's not, consider LVH, etc. Um, and because of that, we can actually get an EKG at a general practitioner's. Um, I, I really think that we're there with echo or ultrasound of the heart now, that if we start to make the interpretation uh, automated, simpler, and, you know, hopefully just a simple, at least normal or not, a screening tool can now be in the hands of many people. Who knows? Maybe as with the ECG on a on an Apple Watch on anyone's wrist right now, maybe it could be something that people could use to do a medical selfie in future and we would never miss another diagnosis of dilated cardiomyopathy or regional wall motion abnormality that indicates you've got myocardial um, uh, coronary artery disease, you know, about to manifest, things like that. So that's the, the, the passion. And um, we founded the company in 2017 and now have regulatory approval in most parts of the world. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, humbling and amazing journey. Yeah. So, you know, again, uh, you know, it's the, if the, the intention is to, to solve a problem, which, which was, you know, provide a tool at the at the fingertips of, of the general practitioner's office to to be able to get an echocardiogram. Then, you know, the the universe is going to line up all the resources for you to to manifest. And you know, that's exactly what's happened with us to AI. And you know, again, you're you're trying to solve a why, which is an important why to solve. Um, so, you know, congratulations on on that and and the success of us to AI and. Where do you where do you see the the future steps for us to AI? Where do you see this go? Yeah, very grounded, logical, um, um, high quality steps. Of we've already validated um, the the software um, in the if I may, one of the best echo core labs in the whole world, Scott Sullivan's core lab at the Brigham. Um, now we're uh, expanding into valve disease and different types of cardiomyopathy. We're performing implementation trials, international ones. I, I'm really excited about them, where we'll be uh, putting the tool into the hands of general practitioners, uh, novice nurses, uh, even going out into the general community to screen uh, hearts and to look for, for example, heart failure and HEFPEF, uh, a diagnosis that's always missed and to allow treatment. Uh, 
So it's it's really nice that even that ties into my passion for Hefpef and and um, it's it's as, as I said, you know, these things one didn't plan ahead of time, but uh, they did line up, and I'm on my knees grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I think what 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 is also exciting, or could be exciting, and I'm sure you're headed in that direction because you mentioned bowel disease is, you know, extrapolating the calibration uh, and automation into uh, looking at uh, picking up uh, rheumatic heart disease in, you know, Africa and Asia, because, you know, it, it still is, you know, very rampant and, and right in center of clinical practice for many of our colleagues in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, with the advent of transcatheter therapies, particularly for pregnant women, uh, you know, if we can, if we can pick these early, and if we can diagnose them early, then you know at least for them to have a safe pregnancy and, and delivery uh, would be paramount. Oh, you're, you're reading my mind. Absolutely, we're not there yet, but that's definitely on the roadmap. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very much excited about the future, and uh, but it's still one humble. Um, a step at a time and, and really making sure that we remain grounded even as we shoot for the moon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Everything always happens a step at a time and there's no shortcuts to be taken. Um, we, I, I, I love doing a good job at each stage. And I think that's really the way I want to live life as well. That if I live each day well, it adds up into a life well-led you know, um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just because, just because this has had a spiritual theme and, you know, just, uh, taking lessons from the Bhagavad Gita is, you know, if you, I'm going to just translate what you said to, to a spiritual language, but it means exactly what you said. And that is that if you, you focus on the action and, you know, let the chips fall wherever they're, they're going to fall because you, you're not obligated to the results of our actions. You're only, obligated to action itself and if you can take joy in performing the action itself and focusing on the action itself and let the chips fall wherever they're going to fall then you're going to keep being immersed and uh, keep being joyful for whatever you do and for that that for you is just enjoying the process as much as you do the fruit or the end product so um, you know this, this has been just a fascinating conversation Oh, it has. My goodness. Um, I've really learned so much from you, Ankar. I'm so looking forward to read um, the papers that you're saying you are writing now. And, and just thank you for doing this for our community. It's a very special space that you've got, by the way. I, it, it is your gift. I can, I can hear it oozing out, <laughs> even from just the voice. <laughs> yeah, no, thank That's you that. It's awesome. um, it's. I mean, I, I did I stumble up stumble upon this maybe because I was just I was feeling a lack of that connection, and you know when I started going back to the ancient scriptures and and reading more about the Bhagavad Gita and the Stoic philosophy and some of the ancient principles of how to live a, a meaningful life, um, and sort of then I just wanted to share that with my colleagues in medicine because I you know, my perception was in my day-to-day -day work and, and communication and, and interacting with, with a lot of, a lot of our colleagues is that it's, 
that insight is lacking. And I, I think in in the race and the competitiveness and the rut of of the next frontier in in medicine and or cardiovascular medicine, you know, whether it's in research or in or in in, in clinical breakthroughs, we sort of forget our, our why. Um, and I think it's so important to recenter, focus on the why, um, and just be be more aligned with 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 the overall mission. Um, that I I started delving into the space, and then, you know, whatever I processed, I thought I should start writing because there was so much that I was processing in 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 medicine terms and how I, how we could apply this in in medicine with, you know, how we deal with each other as colleagues or how we deal with our patients. Um, that I thought that people will will my hope was that through these writings, people will derive meaning more meaning in their day to day work as physicians or clinicians or, you know, even their interactions with their colleagues, which is really my purpose. My purpose to share is for, you know, colleagues to have to 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 possess a similar meaning and, and passion in their lives and. You know, my my reasoning is that if you if you actually can tap that space in your soul, that you will never face burnout. Um, so it 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 taps into a bigger meaning. You know, bigger meaning being why is burnout affecting so many of us? It's it's um, you know, like it's so it's it's such a long road to become a physician, uh, and then to lose your your drive and your spark and your meaning to burnout is is so is is dampening like it shouldn't happen so you know my, i mean my my hope is that through these messages and conversations and writings that i could you know rekindle that that meaning for for each one of us um because i i know that each i mean each one of us there is a superman in each one of us and there is a an, an inherent gift in each one of us and all we need to do is to identify that gift and then the world will be a better place. Wow. Anchor, if I could reflect to you, you, you are through your writings through this, you are giving your gift away. That's so cool. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. This is so inspiring. Thank you. No, no, thank you. If that's the perception, I'm grateful that, you know, I I can, I, I, I have that perception, but that's, that, that meant a lot to me. Any closing remarks for, for parallax and and for cardiology or for anyone who's listening I think once again I'm I'm truly humbled and privileged to have had this opportunity to share a bit um I especially want to speak to uh I hate to keep harping on female but but because there are just still so many gender disparities out there just my my younger sisters in the same boat, you know, um, I feel for you. Keep looking up, please never give up and, you know, living each day authentically. Um, you, you will get there. Uh, just, just keep, keep at it. Thanks. Yeah, no, beautiful message. Thank you for sharing. And, um, to anyone who's listening, you know, feel free to send in your feedback to us. I, I actually read every single one of your messages, and whether it's on social media or through channels like Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. And you know, if you want us to get other guests like Dr. Lam on the show, just um, feel free to send us a note, and we'll do our best to get them on the show for you. Uh, thanks again for listening.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.